Welcome to Closer to Venus. I'm Johnny Burke. Today's guest is Michelle Clare. She is a certified medium, angel intuitive, energetic healer, and a three-time near-death experience survivor. She receives messages from loved ones who have crossed over as well as from angels and life guides, which is what we'll be talking about today. Michelle, welcome to the program. Hi, Johnny. Thanks for having me. I have to ask, you've had multiple near-death experiences was that a catalyst that set you on your current path or were you already on that path to begin with? It absolutely was a catalyst. I always had some mediumship abilities from the age of 12 when my grandfather transitioned. Each near-death experience, they opened up more and more. You had the mediumistic ability as a child. It's something that I just hear over and over again. Did you see spirits when you were younger? Well, I don't really remember seeing any spirits or having any communication with other loved ones in spirit, except for my grandfather. So it was about the age of 12 that I realized I had that ability. Up until that point, I would just say I was raised Catholic and there were a lot of things that felt right to me and a lot of things that didn't feel right to me. And I couldn't really explain it, but I always knew there was a higher power, a higher source that was pure love, not truly judgment and all of these other things we hear about. Also being raised Catholic, I know exactly what you're talking about. We'll get to that later on. I noticed lots of different skills or sensibilities, if you will, energy healer, angel intuitive, and being a medium. Do they all kind of come with the package or is that on a case-by-case basis? The people I've met that have abilities and skills like mine, it tends to be case by case. So some of them have multiple, others are really good at being psychic, and it kind of breaks down. For me, it was with each near-death experience. So in my first one, that was when I connected to an angel for the first time, and I realized they were 12 to 14 feet tall, and it was unbelievable. And so with that, I really became connected to the angelic realm and could start to feel angels and know that we all have at least one guardian angel if not more than that. Yeah, and then the healing abilities, those happened later after my third near-death experience. They all kind of trickled in. I do believe had I been open to mediumship and everything that I could do with it at a young age, I think it would have come in faster. But because I was playing very human and very small and just thinking, oh, I don't know about this and things like that, I limited myself and the things that I could do. You've had three different experiences. Tell us about your first one. Okay. So for my first one, it was in April 2000, and I was actually in the hospital that day. My sister-in-law had had her baby, so we were in the hospital visiting her. And I had a massive seizure. And what happened during the seizure was I remember waking up with my head in my grandma's lap. And my grandma had passed away a few years before this. And I remember waking up and looking around and I was in this room that was all white. And it was as if the cells or the molecules of the walls were alive and they were breathing and radiating this unconditional love and light. And They seemed solid, yet I knew they weren't. And as I was looking at my grandma, she looked like the healthiest, youngest version of her I had ever known. And while I was laying with my head in her lap, I looked up and I saw standing next to her was this 12 to 14 foot tall angel 
absolutely stunningly beautiful, also radiating light. And I remember looking at her wings, expecting them to be feathers, and they were actually <laughs> light. They were this iridescent light that seemed to trail off into eternity. And they had movement, a kind of like the aurora borealis or something. They had this life of this own and this movement. And as I was laying there, I was thinking in my head, I said, what is your name? And she answered me. And I was shocked because I didn't realize they were telepathic. And she said her name was Madeline and she was one of my guardian angels. And I was just laying here in this space of unconditional love and bliss and just soaking it all in. And the next thing I know, I hear them yelling code, 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 because I had quit breathing and I was back in my body. How long were you out for? I want to say it was probably under 30 seconds because I was already in the hospital. So for them to get to me, see I wasn't breathing and call the code team, it had to have been maybe 30, 45 seconds. So it was very brief. But when we hear of experiences where you see a loved one like your grandmother, almost every single time that person, they're in their prime, they're younger, they're healthy, they're vibrant. Mm -hmm. it's, it's amazing. Have you had the same experience as well? I have. With a lot of the readings that I do, the people come through energetically in their prime. I say it feels like most people in heaven are around 30 years old, healthy, energetic, you know, doing well. But it's having, amazing. Yeah, exactly. You're always 29 once you get there. I don't know. But with the people that I read for, I would say too, at the same time, their loved ones don't always present to me physically in that same way. Because if I said to you, I have your grandma here, she's 30 years old, she's got brown hair, people would be like, that's not my grandma. That Because that's not the person they connect with. So once you get to heaven, your soul has this ability for us to feel the energy and see how they feel and their age and their health. But we also, they have the ability to project themselves in a way that their loved ones will recognize them. For instance, one woman who had a near-death experience that was on the show before encountered a friend. He had some struggles, I think some addiction issues and so on. And she said she marveled because he looked amazing. He was healthy, he looked younger. And But what you're saying is that the loved ones will make it possible for when they come through in a reading for the relatives that are still here to actually recognize them. Because if you think about it, if let's say your grandma was 80 when she passed and now she's in her prime, she's 30, how am I going to recognize her? Right. Very interesting. The near-death experience tends to amplify sensibilities that you already have. Absolutely. Let's say I was not psychic. I have a near-death experience. Now I'm having mediumistic tendencies mm -hmm. and I'm getting psychic impressions. Do you find the same thing? Absolutely. Yes, because we tap into this other realm or dimension that is actually right here, right now. But too often in our human world, we kind of have blinders on, we're unconscious about it, and we're not tapping into it. But once you've been to that other side, it becomes much easier to tap in. On a scale of density to light, does it have something to do with raising the vibe so you're a little bit closer to being a light being than you were before the experience? Does that have anything to do with it? I absolutely think that has a lot to do with it. And I would also say that I do believe in pre-birth planning. So I think a lot of us plan some big parts of our life before we come here and incarnate in our body. 
And with that comes a certain amount of amnesia, because the truth is, if we were all remembering how amazing it is back home, we would say like, what the heck are we doing here? Are you kidding? I chose this. I chose to come and have to work a job and, and you know, have to pay taxes and have to like, who would do that, right? So there's this part of the amnesia that I want to call it that we have when we come back into our body that is almost lifted a little bit. And you're like, oh, I remember home. I remember the love. I remember the light. From a near-death experience or other mystical experiences that are similar, samadhi, an experience with a shaman and so on, that amnesia tends to lift a little bit is what you're saying. Like the fog clears. And what you brought up, I'm pretty sure you were referring to life between lives, Mm -hmm. planning stages. You're about to open up a box here. It's actually a good one in the life between life stage. You go beyond remembering a life. You actually go into that. I don't know if you call it the bardo or not, but you actually choose your parents. It's almost like casting a play where I'm going to be the bad guy this time. You do this. You're going to be my lover or you're going to be the lover that dumps me and breaks my heart. And then, of course, you go back, you reincarnate, and you forget all that. Absolutely. Is that in the ballpark? That is in the ballpark. Now, here comes the tricky part. We have free will when we get here. So we can deviate from the play. We can deviate from the role. We can choose a different path. But I do believe most of us try to stick to our path, and we have our angels and our life guides who try to keep us on track, too. Our soul is here to evolve. So this whole school of life, it's really about soul growth, right? And our soul grows through these human experiences. When we are in this place with the oneness, with unconditional love, where everything is amazing and beyond words, we can't imagine what it's like to come to a place where there's hate, what it's like to come to a place where you could feel unloved, where you could feel rejected, where you could feel unworthy, all of these horrible words that we can't imagine when we're in spirit necessarily. And so we choose to come play this role. I often describe it to my son as it's like a video game. He puts in his video game, sitting in the air-conditioned house. He's got his drink next to him. He's got his headphones in. He's screaming and yelling. You would literally think somebody was coming after him. He's yelling, sniper on the right. His character dies, and he gets up, and he walks out of the room, and he's fine. That's very similar to what our soul is experiencing with us in human form on earth. Our soul does not mourn when we die because death is an illusion on the soul level. Right, because energy goes on forever anyway. To follow up to your analogy, the Long Island medium, I believe her name is Teresa Caputo, made a brilliant quote. She said, life is like an episode of Saturday Night Live. Everybody dresses up in different costumes and characters, and but at the end of the night, everyone hugs and kisses. Yeah. When you do readings and people ask you all kinds of questions, do you ever discuss this life between life space or is that a case by case basis? Yeah, it's it's case by case. For some people, you have to realize mediumship alone, the thought that I could connect with your grandmother or your dad is about as far as their mind can reach. And for other people, they come in and they're like, hey, let's talk past lives. Let's talk this. Let's talk that. So it's very individual on where my client is and where they want to go. Because there's also no benefit to me pushing someone out of their comfort zone. And at the end of the day, I will tell you this, we do have one life to live right now, and it's this one. And this is the one that counts, right? 
I think past lives are kind of fun to dig into a little bit, but at the same time, if you go into this past life and you get trapped, like, oh, well, I was this person or I was treated as a slave and this and that, and you start identifying with that, in a way, you're wasting your time here now. So if you want to know it out of curiosity and for fun, I would say go for it. But at the same time, it's not a place for you to get stuck because it still is behind you. It's your past. You've been there, done that, lived that already. I'd be curious who in my current life I knew before. I've had this conversation with one woman and I said, I've known you forever and I can't prove it to you. And she agrees with me. As a medium in your practice, it's not really that common for you to discuss past lives. It's not like a common thing, is it? You know, I think it just depends on the medium. Here's the thing. I would not say what I do is a past life regression. I can't dive into it super, super deep, but I can say, you know, I can fill you in Europe in 1854. I can tell you had a husband. I can tell you had three kids. Then your husband died in a farming accident. And that's why you hate going to the farm <laughs> or whatever that is. So I can get an overview, but I don't necessarily dive deep. Like people who want a past life regression where they spend an hour or something remembering it themselves and diving in, that's not what I do. But I think that can be. And in some cases, it can be a healing experience. One of the books that really popularized past life regression that Brian Weiss wrote was Many Lives, Many Masters, where he had a patient that he was regressing and he just stumbled onto a life that was from 3,500 years ago that he was just not really prepared for. But the whole point of that therapy, I believe, is it can help heal some current issues. Right. So practices like past life regression or even life between lives and going to get a reading from a medium. Do you get the feeling all this stuff is connected anyway? It's all connected, yes, because it has one source, and that source is your soul or your loved one's soul, and all of our souls are connected. So think of it as a radio, right? You get in your car, you can tune into channel 111, 107.4, 103.5, right? But it's all on the radio. This is very similar. Past lives, angels, life guides, mediumship, psychic information. It's all on the same radio. It's just which channel are you tuning into? Right. It's about trying to find a frequency or trying to wish yourself into higher frequencies, vibrations. It's all about frequencies, it seems like. On the subject of mediumship, you are certified. How did you get certified? And tell us a little bit more about how important that is. Yes, that is so important. I really wouldn't recommend anyone go to a medium that's not certified. Now, that doesn't mean there aren't millions of good mediums who aren't certified. But what has happened over the years, we've had a lot of frauds. We've had a lot of people who've given inaccurate, painfully wrong information. And so it's really important, especially for first-time people, find a certified medium. Nowadays, it happens over Zoom. You could pick your medium out of Europe if you live in the States and get your reading. For me, the certification process was on find a certified medium, and that was done with Mark Ireland. And what he does is five blind Skype readings. So I would get told, log in to Skype at 11 o'clock on Wednesday. I wouldn't know if it was a man, a woman, where they lived in the world. The screen was black, so the camera is covered. And I would just start reading. And I would say, okay, I have your son here. He's telling me he died of a traumatic brain injury. He's in a place that was cold when he transitions and start giving them all the information I'm getting. Then he has a very like strict scoring sheet that he would go through, the, the sitters, as we call them, would go through and fill out. And then at the end of that, you have to get a certain score to pass. And the majority of people, as far as I'm told, 
do not pass. We had a woman on not too long ago who was certified by the Forever Family Foundation, and the procedure was exactly the way you just described it. Five back-to-back Skype interviews, and they get graded for accuracy, and Mm -hmm. most of them don't make it. And that's not to say that they don't have some kind of ability. It's just that they don't get that mark of certification or whatever you want to call it. And I know a couple mediums that are phenomenal, but they're not certified. So I personally would recommend them if I had a client who said, I have to get in tomorrow and I said, I'm booked, try this medium because I know them and I know their accuracy only because I know how good they really are. And I'm not sure why they have chosen not to be certified. I know they could easily pass it. Now you have other near-death experiences and you also have encountered spirit guides and angels. So What would you like to talk about next in the sequence where we're going to learn the most about it? Okay. Wow. Well, my next two near-death experiences will include all of that for you because it's in my third near-death experience that I meet my life guides. In my second one, I'll go briefly through this. I was having surgery. I had had my youngest child six weeks prior and I had had multiple complications and had been in the hospital. And they said, we need to do a DNC six weeks out, which is a surgical procedure, 45 minutes outpatient, you'll be fine. The night before I had this gut feeling, oh, I don't think I should do this, but I was so tired of being in the hospital that I followed through and went ahead and went in. Well, during that procedure, I was laying on the surgical gurney. I was under anesthesia, but I actually very clearly remember opening my eyes and seeing my beautiful white shepherd, her name was Tahoe, she had passed away a couple years before that, come in and lay her head on my gurney. And at that moment in time, we were gone. We were on this phenomenal beach running and running on the sand, which felt like clouds. It didn't feel like sand on the beach. It felt like we were running on clouds. We were in this place again, unconditional love, no time, completeness. Every drop of water in the ocean was singing and radiating light and love, every flower, every branch. And I looked at my dog, beautiful, young, healthy, silky coat. And once again, we had telepathic communication where I could tell she was so happy that I was there and we were just running on the beach. At that moment, I feel myself energetically get drawn to my six-week-old son who was at home with my mom while I was during surgery. And I can feel that he's frightened because I'm going to leave. And I said to him, I will find a way to stay. And I feel myself in the operating room and I start praying and asking for help. And I feel the Christ light, which to me, I also felt the Jesus connection there. They're not necessarily connected, but I felt both come in. I felt the operating room light up and I survived the surgery. When I came out of surgery three and a half hours later, I found out they had ruptured my uterus in two places and had to do emergency surgery on me, which was why my 45 minute procedure turned out to be three and a half hours. And the next morning, the doctor came in and said to me, you know, Michelle, There was somebody watching over you yesterday because you shouldn't be here still. They had missed my aorta by less than a millimeter and couldn't even stitch it. It was so close. Amazing experience. And you mentioned you experienced the Christ light Mm -hmm. and the the Jesus connection, which I think is a connection all of us, whether we grew up Catholic or not, are really trying to find the truth about. Tell us a little bit more about that and how that might have shaped or maybe changed your religious views since you had that experience. Right. So what's really important about this is my soul is not more special than anyone else's. But I felt like at that moment, my soul was able to usher in a miracle. 
And the point that's so important about that is if my soul can do it, your soul can do it and everybody's soul can do it, right? Humans call these miracles. Spirit call these happenings. It's just a happening in the spiritual world. It's not a miracle. Humans are like, wow, that's a miracle. But I remember praying and asking for help and asking to be able to stay and asking for it to be different. I remember the room lighting up with this beautiful white golden light. And here was the thing. It was so interesting because there wasn't part of me that thought, Jesus is here. Oh my gosh, I must be special. It was Jesus was my friend. Jesus loved me. Jesus wanted to help me. There wasn't this hierarchy or whatever you want to call it in that moment. And this healing light came in and I was able to stay. The details of that, I don't remember. I think there could have been more details that I saw at the moment, but I was able to stay. And so, yes, being raised Catholic, I was always aware of Jesus. I felt like, you know, Jesus was good. Jesus was on my side. Jesus loves you. This little light of mine, you know, all these great (laughs) Catholic songs. But it was at that moment that I actually realized Jesus wasn't just all those things. Jesus was my friend and not just my friend, your friend and everyone's friend, whether you're Buddhist, atheist, whatever your religion. Yeah. doesn't matter. Did he communicate with you telepathically at all or any, anything that you could take away from that? I just remember asking for help and knowing that it was given. So I don't remember specifically a word or something that he said to me. It was very energetic. It was through feelings. It's like looking at someone that you know really well and you know exactly what they're thinking without them saying a word. So it was energetic. There wasn't telepathic words. I didn't hear words. I just knew that I was going to be almost like granted the right to stay. It's pretty incredible. It gives us faith that Jesus is real. Right. Might not be the way it's depicted in the Bible and so on, which we're not going to get into that, but he's available for everyone, no matter who they are or what race or where they come from or what religion they practice and so on. Right. Yes. I will share this with you. I interviewed someone recently. Her name's Suzanne Munson. She wrote a book called The Metaphysical Thomas Jefferson, where long story made short, she basically engaged the medium because she had success making contact with her husband who had passed and some friends and some of her other friends had joined in and they all verified there was definitely some evidential mediumship. She basically had this woman channel Thomas Jefferson. It's pretty incredible the experience. One of the things he said Mm -hmm. was Jesus is present on this planet, but he's left most of the churches because he doesn't like what's going on there. Right. Does this change how you view things? in your practice and in your life? Yeah. Some of the amazing things about being raised Catholic was this. I always knew I had help. If I lost something, I could pray to St. Anthony. If I was worried about my dog, I'd pray to St. Francis. I have Mother Mary here to help me. So some of the really good things was I was raised knowing I had a lot of help in a lot of ways. And I could ask these saints or these angels or whoever to help me, right? So That part was really good. But religion itself, whenever it's done in a place to control people with fear or not truly out of a place of love, oh, every religion has some beautiful things. And there's always some other things that aren't so pretty with religions. But I also believe they are purposeful too because there are a lot of people that need someone to direct them, guide them, and tell them, how to connect with God because they're not ready to think outside of the box for themselves or they haven't gotten to the point where something has pushed them to say there's more. There's got to be more than this. Either you're reading my mind or I'm reading your mind. That's not (laughs) likely. But 
what I was thinking, you have to start someplace. Mm-hmm. So you've had experiences also with angels mm-hmm. and spirit guides. And I think this had something to do with your third experience. Yes, absolutely. So my third near-death experience for people who like numbers was on 11-1-11, so November 1st, 2011. And I was up on a ladder in my kitchen. We have 14-foot tall ceilings, and I have the candles that automatically turn on with batteries every night. So I was up on the ladder changing the battery. My two younger kids were home at the time. They were five and eight, and my oldest was at school. And I said, as soon as I put this candle up, we're leaving to get your sister. And as I climbed up, I literally felt the ladder shift. And I said, oh, this is going to hurt. Like I knew I was going to fall. At that moment, I was literally ripped out of my body. Not in a painful way, but I was out of my body so fast. Facing my body, I saw my body suspended in the air. I saw the ladder suspended in the air. And I knew I was in this place with no time. And I was standing with these three people, two males and one female. And I had never met them. I didn't recognize them, but I felt like I had known them forever. And they said to me, well, what what do you want to do? Do you want to stay or do you want to go? And as they were asking me, I was still processing in my mind. I can see my body. It's going to hit the floor in, in less than a second. And I have forever to decide. There was no rush if I needed to make the decision. And as I was listening to them and watching my body in the ladder, I saw this huge angel come in on the other side. And I knew that angel was there to make sure I either lived or I transitioned home safely. There was no doubt why that angel was there. And as I sat there and they were asking me, and I kept thinking to myself, this is so crazy, my body's gonna hit the floor, but I'm not in a rush to decide. They also made it clear that if I decided to stay, things were gonna be a little different this time. I needed to come back with more of my whole soul's purpose intact, and I needed to help people in the ways that I was able to, that I had chosen to forget or deny or ignore whatever this was. And so that if I came back this time, there was going to be more expected of me. And then I saw my two younger kids. And at that moment, I thought, I can't leave them. And so I agreed to come back. The next thing I know, I'm on the ground. I was unconscious. I hit the back of my head on the corner of my granite kitchen island. So I missed my brainstem by half an inch. It was half an inch that angel moved my head so that I could stay. I had a five and a half inch skull fracture, a brain bleed. I lost my taste, my smell, part of my hearing, my equilibrium, part of my vision. And my younger two kids called 911 and got me help. At that point in time, then I was in ICU and in the hospital and in all sorts of therapies. It took a couple of months before the gravity of the whole situation, the reality of it really sunk in. And my first big visit after that was my grandfather who passed away when I was 12 came through to me. Into January 2012 is when he came through. And he said to me, so my son was five at the time and we believed his 911 call had not gone through because he had been really upset. He might have dialed 991. We didn't know, but my daughter's call had gone through. He came through to me. He talked to me about my accident. He talked to me about my son and he said he's really good with electronics. And then before he left, my grandfather said, by the way, you need to get the 911 recording. There's something on there you should know. And I was kind of shocked because that had not crossed my mind and no one had mentioned it. And I didn't even know you could get one. Sure, I'd seen it on big cases on TV where they'll play it, but it had never crossed my mind. So I went down and 
and got it, and it took a couple weeks. And then what happened was I got it, I played it, and I hear them say, 911, what's your emergency? And my son, Josh, in his little broken voice says, Sophie, what do I say? And then he laid down the phone. And for the next minute and a half, they tried to get his attention. And you can hear the kids talking. So his call had gone through. He did not know it had gone through. And he had been feeling like he had done nothing to help me. And then he says he's going to push the panic button on the house alarm. My daughter says, hold on, let me try calling 911. And then her call went through. So both of their calls went through. I would not have known that had my grandfather not come through and given me that information. These experiences really are pretty incredible. When do you suppose just the sheer volume of near-death experiences are going to hit critical mass where people are pretty much going to accept them like, well, yeah, there's been like a million of them. So uh, I don't think a million of these people are really making up these things. Do you? Do you think we're anywhere near that? I think we're getting closer to that. I just saw an article on CNN yesterday about multiple people who have lost loved ones to COVID have said their loved ones are trying to communicate with them. So I feel like the mediumship, the near-death experience, all of that is coming to light more and more and more. And that is actually one positive thing out of COVID is people are saying, wait, I just got a message from my loved one. I had no idea that was possible. But it's opening those doors. And I do believe people will be more and more open because at the end of the day, I think no matter who you are, whether you're an atheist, by the way, one of my best friends is an atheist. I don't think it matters. I think Jesus loves her, God loves her, and they all want her to live a great life and she's going to end up in heaven with me. You know what I mean? So that to me, that that's not a deal breaker by any means. But at the end of the day, all of these awakening experiences are being used to help raise the vibration of planet Earth. I agree. That and other mystical experiences as well. These experiences, if you have quite a few of them. Did you already believe in reincarnation before these experiences? I did not. What about now? I do now, yes, but I did not. But I did because after I started realizing I needed to do this work as a medium, I started finding mentors and people to help me, to help train me and help me understand it and how to do this correctly. My biggest problems were my kids were in school, first grade math, you know, things like that. And now I'm like, oh gosh, I'm talking to dead people. So I I had a lot of people who didn't understand where I was in life now. So I needed mentors and I needed a network who could help me grow. Having said that, I do believe that we are all on this evolution trail, right? We're all climbing. Now, for me, it was extreme. I had three near-death experiences and they finally really woke me up to a level that I could no longer deny. But I don't think it has to be that extreme for everyone. I think for some people, it could be the tap on the shoulder. I could think it could be smelling your mom in your room after you know she transitioned five years ago. But without a doubt, that is her scent right here, right now. You know, so it's it's kind of like, do you want to listen to the universe as they tap you on the shoulder or get knocked off the ladder? One way or another, they'll get your attention. We can only hope. When you do a reading, how do you prepare for it? And what information should I give you? And what information should I not give you? Mm-hmm. That's really a variable upon the person, right? You can give me as much or as little as you want, right? There will be some people who come in and just nod their head yes or no and don't want to say anything. There will be other people who bring a picture, say, this is my son, his name is Ethan, he died when he was 19 or whatever this is. So it kind of depends on what the person is comfortable with. 
But I will tell you, if you're with a certified medium, there is this energetic balance that helps. So you can come in, be skeptical, but please be open-minded. Like, how would I know you have a son that this, this old that transitioned if we've never talked before and I haven't met you, right? So I'm fine with people being skeptical. A lot of times people don't connect the information in a reading, but they'll get it an hour later. If I say, hey, there's a birthday coming up next month. No, 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 there's not. And then they're driving home. They're like, oh yeah, it's my sister-in-law's birthday next month or whatever that is. So just being open to, I might not understand it now, but I will later. Or sometimes when we get some of that psychic information in, you won't understand it today, but in three weeks, three months, three years, it makes sense. So I would say give the amount of information that you're comfortable with, but at the same time, I don't want you to go in there and give out all your cards either, if that makes sense. There is some- It does. Yeah. It does. I had some people ask me about that recently. I said, well, when you go in to do the reading, the medium will ask, who would you like to talk to? Mm -hmm. And you can either give them a specific name or you can say, I want to see who comes through. Right. And both of those are great. Yeah. Someone might surprise you. Yeah. And the other thing I would say about that too is, so it's just energy. So how we were talking about earlier, like radio stations on a radio, if you say, I want to connect with my sister, her name's Sherry, she's 33. That almost gives me like an energetic grid point where I can go boom and I can go right there. If you say, well, let me just see who I have. I can be like, okay, here we go. Oh, I feel grandma. I feel your great aunt. And then three or four people later, I get to Sherry. Either way works. It's kind of whatever the person is most comfortable with. But there are a lot of times where people really just want to hear from this one person and they don't want to hear from grandma, grandpa, aunt, Jean, and whoever else. It's what works for you. Your objective is to give them what I think is known as evidential mediumship where you could say, well, Johnny, I know that your uncle Sy says you have a 1913 penny that you always keep in your right hip pocket and you bring it with you only when you go to work. There's mm -hmm. probably no way you could have known that. So right. th is that what you normally aspire to do is to give them something substantial where they know that you're not just guessing? Yes. Yeah. It might be something that specific. So here's the other thing with our loved ones on the other side, they don't all communicate the same and all mediums don't receive the same. So although we can make, I don't believe every medium can read every person. I don't because it just depends on how your loved one communicates. So let's say some mediums hear all the words. They hear everything the loved one's telling them. If your loved one hasn't mastered that on the other side and is good at sending feelings and, and other different energy, then that's going to be hard for that medium to connect with them. But if they're, if your loved one's a talker and is able to form the words and the medium can hear it, that's a great connection. So I would say there's also this part where, yes, I want you to ask for proof, but realize most mediums are doing the best they can. So they might not get that the penny was from 1913 or whatever date you said, but they know you carry this penny in your pocket every day. Does that make sense? But they might not get the date or they might. It just depends. The penny, I think, would be pretty close. That would make me think twice. Like you said, there's a lot of fraud, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Excellent stuff. Michelle, thanks so much for joining us. How can our listeners find you online? They can find me at michelleclaire.net. Excellent. I will put that in the show notes. You've been listening to Closer to Venus. I'm Johnny Burke. If you enjoyed today's episode, please consider subscribing. You can also leave us a review on iTunes as well. Thanks again for tuning in, and we'll see you next time.